Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and usually when Dr. Mark Muska comes on, I just go. Mark, Mark is here, my friend, and I'm always excited to see him. And I feel like every once in a while, though, I need to let you know that he has been teaching Old and New Testament and theology courses here at the University of Northwestern since 1989. Oof. Uh, Man, you're making me feel old. No, now. no, just let me let me brag you up Can here I just, just a little bit. Go in the corner and take a little nap. Would <laughs> <laughs> yes, he uh, has received Northwestern's Teacher of the Year. Uh, three times, and he is uh, was formerly the chair of the Biblical and Theological Studies Department, and I am just uh, always amazed at his knowledge of God's Word and his handling of it, and I learn so much every time he's on, and I know you do too. So I always want to make uh, him available, and whatever questions you have, you can text them over to me at 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. 84. We like calling this segment Ask the Professor. And here he is. Mark, welcome. Hey there. It's good to see you, Bill. Yeah. And uh, you were shoveling snow today. I was. I'm tired. That's <laughs> hard work. It is. Even with the snowblower and the miserable wind keeps blowing it right back in my face, too. So <laughs> I was not thinking pleasant thoughts at yeah. that moment. That was n- that was nasty. Yeah. So, so let's we're, we're in Minnesota, Bill. Yeah, This is what happens in February. Yeah, We've got to live with it. Yeah, warmer weather is ahead. Or we just have to wait till July. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's jump into some verses that I've been kicking around in my head. This one came up in the previous half hour, so it's interesting now that I'm bringing it up to you. But it's Romans twelve two when Paul mm-hmm. says, "Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world." Let's just stop there for a minute. When I've, I've read that a thousand times, and the pattern of this world, how how would I best understand that pattern of this world? Oh, it's the the world's thinking, the world's ways. Okay. Being worldly, we simple enough. We are tremendously influenceable as human beings; that we're vulnerable to much influence, and so we have to be careful about what's influencing us, mm-hmm. what we see, what we hear. Amen. A lot of times, it gets into our being, and we don't even give it permission. It just gets in there. That is so true. So we got to be careful what we're filling our minds with what we are allowing in mm-hmm. all right but be transformed by the renewing of your mind mm-hmm. so who does the renewing well uh, the transforming and the renewing is the work of god okay that uh, it it may hide a little bit in our translations but in the original language of this it's quite clear that this is something that's happening to us we don't renew our mind the language would have a specific way to say that, mm-hmm. if that's what Paul was saying. Or it's not we renew our mind, or it's God is renewing our mind. The action is happening to us. For you grammarians out there, it's a passive verb, not mm-hmm. an active one or nice. a middle one. Yeah. And then I love how the verse finishes, then mm-hmm. you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't want that? Yep. Those two verses work really well together in oh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, because yeah. he's talking about their bodies in 12, 1. Present your body to God as a living sacrifice, and then your mind in verse 2. 
don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So that's pretty, that's pretty comprehensive there. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to start. Mm-hmm. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest, and it's Ask the Professor. So if you have a question, let me know what it is, and I will ask him for you, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Uh, Mark, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, the Bible speaks of a seared conscience. Mm-hmm. So the conscience is the God-given moral consciousness within each of us, right? That's the moral seat inside of us where we discern uh, good and evil. And that's hardwiring, isn't it? We started with that. Uh, well, we all have that. Yeah. What would happens to it is something different. Uh, if it helps, it might be an equivalent to a hardened heart, to have a seared conscience, someone who is no longer uh, able to be reached with... Uh, with the good of of God, and so uh, that yeah, that's that's a uh, so it can you can dull the senses, you can have a dull sense of right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And Timothy uh, or Paul is talking to Timothy about this, and and warning is it a warning or is it a uh, an admonition or oh, it's it's definitely a warning here. Okay. You, you do not want. Uh, He's talking about liars here, and they're hypocritical lying. They're seared in their own conscience, as with a branding iron. And so uh, this this thing with the mind is really interesting. And, you know, the church has done some work on this in the last few decades, Bill. The whole movement about worldview studies and how we think and how we perceive the world around us, it's really a big part of the Christian life. That mm-hmm. uh, I like to tell my students that your views, your outlook on life— that's the nose on the dog. Wherever the <laughs> nose goes, the rest of the dog follows. And so yeah. the way you think, the way you understand yourself and your place in the world and your relationship to God, your relationship to other people, that is what drives what we do in mm-hmm. life. You can explain almost everything that we do in terms of how we're seeing the the world at that particular moment. Mm-hmm. So here's a great question, Mark. When people in the Old Testament tithed, mm-hmm. where did the money go? Did the church look like today's church? It, well, it wasn't the church back then. It was called the, the temple or the synagogue, and the priesthood uh, was uh, the recipient of much of that. Uh, the priests were uh, were dedicated to the service of God, and even the Levites. Uh, for people who aren't aware of the di- distinction, there, uh, Levi was one of the twelve sons of Joseph, and the, uh, I'm sorry, Jacob, and Jacob was renamed Israel, and so we get the twelve tribes of Israel from those twelve sons, and one of his sons was Levi, and you fast forward several centuries, and Moses was from Levi's line, and so is his brother Aaron, and so. When God gives Moses the law, he puts Aaron in and the Levites in as the tribe that would provide the priests for the people, for the nation. And, uh, for example, when uh, the land was divided out, when they conquered their land that God had promised to them, uh, the Levites weren't given any territory in the land, but they were given several cities that were spread out throughout the land. And that makes sense because... Mm -hmm as Levites, that many of those Levites were priests. And you have to keep this straight. All the priests were Levites, but not all the Levites were priests. 
some of them served in other roles. And in fact, uh, yeah, uh, they were musicians, they guarded the temple and that kind of a thing. Uh, but uh, they, the word priest means mediator. It means mm. go-between. So these priests were very valuable to, uh, be, to pray for the people, to instruct them in the law. Uh, to take their requests before God uh, in a mediating role. So it's nice that they were spread out all over Israel. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, this this was a means by which they would be uh, supplied with the things they needed to live because they wouldn't be out there farming and doing other things to support themselves. So Mm -hmm. they uh, received these offerings from the people. Amazing. Dr. Mark Musk is my guest Text your questions over, 877-933-2484. All right, Mark, fire has come down from heaven several times. The Mm -hmm. Bible records at least six of these. Mm -hmm. When the fire comes down, is it uh, usually always a a judgment from God? I don't know if I can think of another way that that's seen. Uh, You can see it as a proof and a test in one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament with Elijah and the priests of Baal that they had this contest about whose God was going to burn up the right. sacrifice on right. the altar. And uh, God won that one. Uh, <laughs> he uh, he uh, t- uh, had fire come down and uh, burn up the sacrifice. And in fact, <laughs> I love the details where Elijah had poured water all over the wood Soak and the it. sacrifice and everything. You know, all the Boy Scouts are there going, you know, you don't do that if you're going to light a fire. <laughs> you got to keep that dry. But it says that this fire came down and consumed it. And I love the expression where it says, and it licked up all the water in the trench, too. Yeah. You know, So that was a great... Uh, so I don't know if I'd call that judgment. That was more of a demonstration yeah. that's taking place. Do you imagine that, being a, spec- a spectator to that, seeing fire come down from heaven? <laughs> well, the people said, Yahweh, he is God. <laughs> Yahweh, he is God. Uh, yeah. They were impressed. That yeah. was uh, That made a point. So I'd be sleeping with one eye open for a couple ooh, of weeks. It, it, it would, if I watched that, if it I would get that. your attention. Yeah, but definitely. then there's almost judgment uh, in one of the scenes that the chosen, as a matter of fact, uh, portrays really well. Is that uh, uh, James and John are uh, are very irritated with some people that had been not exactly receptive to Jesus, and so they were asking Jesus if they could call fire down from heaven to destroy these people. And uh, that's a little overreaction on their part, but it didn't happen, but they wanted it to have it happen. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I, I'm trying to think of the other instances, and I can't think of one that would be other than some kind of judgment taking place. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, they're always interesting, though, when I read this fire from heaven, that's, it's, uh, it gets my attention every time I read it. It should. Yeah, as it does. All right, mm-hmm. Dr. Mark Musk is with me, and I'm so glad he is because I like him very much, and he's a friend, and I uh, know that you uh, will get your questions answered if you send them over to me. All you have to do is send them via text, 877-933-2484. Any question you want to ask, I bet he will uh, answer it for you. Let me know, or at least he will at least try, he says. 877-933-2484. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest, and we'll be right back. I see all I 
me know, Mark, when you want to get back to work. If you want to just listen to this song, I'll do that. that song. I'll do that, too. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. Mm-hmm. This is Ask the Professor. He is so awesome at this. Any question you have, let us know. He'll do his very best to answer your question, 877-933-2484. Uh, when we read in the Bible about uh, double portions, I've heard that. Um, mm-hmm. I think the Mosaic Law stipulated a double portion for firstborn sons, but I sometimes hear people in their corporate praying pray for a double portion. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is What does that mean? What, when you hear that, what do you think? Well, when people pray that, I suspect what they're saying is they want really, really big blessing. Yeah, like... <laughs> you know, like a triple X L size blessing yeah, right. instead of just normal garden variety blessing. I don't want to make fun of it, but people... I like it because people are trusting God for a lot. Yeah. They're serious about believing. That's a beautiful him, thing. And he's they're depending on him. And so I don't want to ridicule that at all, but... Uh, the double portion thing comes in in many different places. You're right. I looked this up, and uh, you, you gave me De- Deuteronomy 21.17. This is talking about the law. If a man has two wives, one that's loved and one that isn't, that uh, if something happens, this this one that isn't her her son gets a double portion of inheritance, even though she wasn't the loved wife. So, And try to sort that out as far as how something like that would happen, to have two wives like that. And then First uh, Samuel one five. This is uh, describing how uh, Elkanah is sacrificing, and he's got two wives, and one of them is Hannah, and he gives Hannah a double portion from the sacrifices. So I think that's just applying to food that she's getting the, some of the the portions from these sacrifices that were offered. And remember, uh, you might not recognize those two names, but Elkanah and Hannah were the parents for Samuel the prophet. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is this is really a, a, a neat blessing kind of thing. And then you brought up Isaiah 61 here. It's talking about the inheritance of the people. The days will come when you will have a double portion and a double blessing in the land that uh, times of great... Uh, abundance and prosperity will come for Israel, mm-hmm. even though they're really suffering a lot at the present time. Here's a great question, Mark. Sure. Noah and Abram were Old Testament people whom were counted as righteous. What does this mean if they were not sinless? And were they saved due to their righteousness? Yeah, uh, they were not saved due to their righteousness. They were justified through their faith. And that comes through blatantly clear. One of the great verses in Genesis, Genesis fifteen six, where great scene, God takes Abram out at night and he looks at the stars and he says, so shall your descendants be. Think of God telling you that. Can you count the stars? I try all the time and I can't do it. And then astronomers say each star represents a galaxy, so give it up. You know, you're not going to count them. But he's making a point by exaggeration there. And then the Moses, the writer, says, and Abraham, Abram believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, that his righteousness came by faith, not by any kind of works going on. Paul picks up on this in the book of Romans and the book of Galatians, talking about the core idea of the gospel is that the just or the righteous shall live by faith. We are saved by faith. So how do we explain that, though, with Job, Noah, Abram, that they're talked about as being blameless and righteous? Uh, 
I I don't like to run to figures of speech easily, Bill, mm-hmm. but when something is clashing so blatantly with something we know about all of us not being righteous and uh, fallen because of sin, Romans 3.23, uh, all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. I look at this and say, I, it sounds like an expression to say, this man did live to the best of his ability by faith, and that showed itself in his obedience and his righteousness in the way he lived. But I think both, all three of them, would have probably had a very red face if you would have said, oh, wow, you're perfect. God's, you know, got you. <laughs> the, the, uh, mm-hmm. that, they would have been embarrassed because they know perfectly well they're not. And, uh, in fact, Job proves that in the subsequent chapters when, when he stumbles a little bit. Uh, the one that uh, bothers me as well is uh, one of the patriarchs where he lived to the age, I think, of 350 or so, and then he was caught up to heaven to be with God that he did not die. And so how do we ex- understand that? And I put that on one of my lists that's very long that has questions for God someday if I you know, get a chance to ask him mm-hmm. to understand that. I think, though, it's almost like a saying to, to say this about these men, that they lived and they, they, were, uh, they were not rebelling against God. They were following God. But then... I mean, remember, we always have to bring in the total counsel of Scripture, and they're mentioned in the book of Hebrews as by faith in chapter 11. They did these things. By faith, Abraham offered Isaac. By mm-hmm. faith, Noah uh, preached to those for, what was it, 120 years <laughs> while he's building the ark? And so uh, there is faith there, and it's not brought out in the actual narrative texts of those Old Testament uh, books. Yeah. Boy, 120 years working on the ark. Beesh. Amazing. Can hey, you kids, imagine? I need more gopher wood. Mm-hmm. I bet he said that a lot. There has been a whole lot of really rich Christian comedy that has come out yeah, of that bet, scene I with bet. the ark. That That is ripe for I know. all kinds of good. All right. Mark, here's an interesting question. How do you know for sure if someone you know well and love is truly saved? You don't. That we... We have to we have to keep two things in mind, Bill. On the one hand, God knows the heart, and we don't. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've talked about this many times on this program. You want to get under my skin in a hurry. Try to presume that you know what I'm thinking or feeling, and you know what my attitudes are. Sometimes I don't even know what my attitudes are, and so you presume you know why you know I'm thinking some way. Uh, we don't have access to that. Only God knows the heart. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the faith that we put in the gospel to depend on Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, the only thing we can go by is what people say and what people do. And so if someone gives a testimony that they have where it's clear they understand the content of the gospel, that to stand before God myself, I'm in trouble. But there was something that someone came in and took my place and paid the penalty of sin so that I could be forgiven. And you know what? I'm depending on that when I meet God and stand before him in judgment, that it wasn't anything I did that caused me to be forgiven. It was what Jesus did in my place, mm-hmm. and I'm depending on that. Now, when somebody says something like that, Bill, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be doing the hand clap there. You know, <laughs> that really, yeah. it sounds great. Then you get into actions, however, and this is where we talk about there's a consistency in the Bible with those who make that kind of a decision of faith to put their 
trust and dependency in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin and then how they live afterward. And sometimes it doesn't line up the way we'd like to. The Bible talks about us being born again at that point. Peter describes as is as babes in Christ in 1 Peter 1. And so we grow to be mature in Christ, but not everybody grows at the same pace and some people wander off and that's where it gets difficult. So the thing I cling to, Bill, is to say, right now, as I'm sitting here in this chair, if you, you know, if you want to know from a friend if they're truly saved or not, ask them, what are you depending on to be justified before God, mm-hmm. to be right with God? Yeah. Are you dependent on going to church? Well, you know, that's great, but that's not going to get it done. A lot of people go to church. Uh, is it that you're depending on Jesus to pay for your sin penalty so yeah. you don't have to yourself. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be have great confidence in somebody that says something like that. Right. And if their life doesn't match up to that, then that comes the difficult times maybe to sometimes talk about. Well, you know, you say that this is what you been, and then but look away, you're living over here and uh, help me understand this so uh, we can, you know, iron, iron this out, make, make sense out of it. So mm-hmm. that certainly is possible and, in fact, necessary if we truly love one another and we see somebody wandering off, wouldn't you want to say something? Amen. To them? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Anyway. All right. I'm reading through the Bible in a year and I'm currently in Leviticus. Fantastic. What a great book. Yep. Why do you suppose so many details about what was appropriate in God's sight or what was a pleasing sacrifice or how to handle skin conditions had to be written down by Moses? Yeah, they needed it. That's why it was written down. Okay. And so they wouldn't forget it. Uh, this uh, this is important. Uh, the book of Levit- Leviticus, it really magnifies the holiness of God and the majesty of God. You're going to see repeated over and over in that book after God gives prescriptions for sacrifices, for the way they live with one another, all these uh, laws and rules and commands that he gives them. Many, many times he ends that by saying, uh, I am... I am the holy God. I am I am God and I am holy. So that the easy way to understand holiness is God is one of a kind. He is unique. He is the creator and sovereign over the universe. You don't mess with this God. And this is a way to get that through. You live the way I prescribe you to live is what God is saying. So you just don't bring any old sacrifice to me. It has to be just as it's prescribed here. You don't mess with with God with this, that he is uh, not someone to be trifled with. I love C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia with Aslan, where he says, Aslan is not a tame God, you know. (laughs) (laughs) You better be careful around him. He's a loving God, but he is not tame. All right, we'll be back with more Ask the Professor. Let me know what your questions are. So far, a lot of good ones. 877-933-2484. My guest is Dr. Mark Muska. Dr. Mark Muscom, so glad to have him here as we are uh, Ask the Professor this hour. Great questions coming in, lots of them, by the way. Uh, a lot of people want answers, Mark. 
Hey, they're reading with, with their minds. They they're are. thinking. They're asking questions. They are. That's a great way. I heard a teacher once say the difference between Bible study and Bible reading is a pencil. I love that. Isn't that good? Yeah. You know, you're asking questions. You're uh, writing uh, it down. That's the way you that's the way you learn. All right. Here's a question. What is the difference between inheriting the kingdom of God and going to heaven? In First Corinthians chapter six, Paul is talking to believers based on verse eleven about not inheriting the kingdom of God because of their sexual immorality and other things. Mm-hmm. So the question is, what's the difference between inheriting the kingdom of God and going to heaven? Uh, it's it's a, a, a equivalent terminology. Uh, there's a lot of overlap like that. So uh, we hear a lot of talk about the church, for example, in the New Testament. And we hear a lot about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, particularly in the Gospels. Jesus liked to use this to describe. Remember all the parables where he said the kingdom of heaven is like, and here Mm -hmm. he goes and talks about a farmer or something like that. And so uh, this going to heaven is even part of the story, too, because that's a temporary place for us, as we, if we understand the New Testament correctly, that we will spend eternity in this new heavens and new earth that the book of Revelation talks about. And so... When, if and when we die, we immediately go to be with God in heaven, but then we return with Christ and we spend our, uh, our time with him in fellowship in the new earth and the new heavens. And so uh, I don't think it's something to, uh, uh, to quibble over differences or distinctions, Bill, uh, that they overlap significantly, these ideas of the kingdom and and uh, going to heaven. So inheriting the kingdom here, uh, that sounds like uh, you need to uh, look at this again if you are are doing these things. He talks about many things here, uh, thievery, covetousness, drunkardness, revilers, swindlers. And he, he follows up with this. He says, they, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, such were some of you were but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. You got a bad past, but hey, you know, it's it's all new now with Jesus. Mm-hmm. So. All right. When uh, reading Acts last week, they killed James. <laughs> was that one of the sons of Zebedee? And if so, was, yes. that, was that the John, his brother, the same John who wrote the Gospel of John and the short epistles? Yes. And if so... When you read about John in the Gospels, he seems so gentle and loving, not a son of thunder. Yeah. The answers are yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> that was good. No, th- this is right. Okay. Uh, James and John were uh, dubbed the sons of thunder, and they uh, uh, they wanted to, to sit at Jesus' right and his left when he came in his glory. Uh, just a humble little request there from the apostles. Uh, Jesus had just said he was going to go to Jerusalem and be... Uh, crucified, and then rise from the dead. So uh, James and John, yes, sons of Zebedee, fishermen by train, a trade. Uh, There are other Jameses in the Bible as well. One of the key ones is probably the half-brother of Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph, who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem Mm -hmm. that we read about in the book of Acts. Acts 15, he oversaw the meeting of the church there to decide a doctrinal issue. And he almost certainly wrote the book of James that we have in the Bible. So uh, James, the son of Zebedee, probably didn't live long enough to write James. Mm-hmm. That uh, 
Herod put him to death. Remember, it pleased him, and so he grabbed Peter too. But that's when Peter had this uh, visitation by the angel that broke him out of jail. Right. <laughs> and I love that scene. That's a great scene. Well, Peter is just so raw, you know. <laughs> you don't have a real sophisticated guy here because... <laughs> <laughs> the best part of that story is when he he thinks he's having this great dream. You know, this this angel's taking him out of this prison, and none of the guards are seeing him or anything. And then finally, he gets him outside, and I, you know, it's probably cold out there and alone. And the angel disappears, and Peter goes, "Oh, this wasn't a dream. <laughs> it really happened. I'm I'm free." And so he he uh, just just I like that rawness. I love it. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. All right, Exodus thirteen. Mm-hmm. Verses 13 to 16 describes the sacrifice of the firstborn males during mm-hmm. the festival of unleavened bread. Mm-hmm. Can you help me to understand this sacrifice? Some versions say the firstborn males were brought back. I just don't ever remember being taught that God demanded a human sacrifice in the Old Testament. Oh, this is not the, the uh, uh, human sacrifice. Let me get back there uh, to this. So that that I'm not so sure we can do that. I I haven't read this passage for a bit, so let me get over to it. I could have a I could do a half-day workshop letting people look at your Bible. Mm. Just because there's there's zero zero notes in it. Well, that's because my my big my old one fell apart on me. I okay. got it duct taped about yeah. seven different ways, okay. so I can't uh, I can't do that anymore. So, yeah, uh Exodus 13, yeah. 13 through 16. Mhm. Yeah, he's talking about every first offspring of a donkey you'll redeem with a lamb. And when your son asks you, uh, what is this? Then you'll tell him, with a powerful hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, and so forth. So uh, you, you redeem the firstborn of your family with this sacrifice that takes place. So it's not people being sacrificed. Mm-hmm. It's the sacrifice being done for them. So... That's helpful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about the 12 princes in Genesis 17, 20? Man, these are tough ones. That's what I mean. Yeah. Genesis 17. I'm glad you're the professor because I'd be in a boatload of trouble. I think I'm going to give you uh, one of my stock answers here. Okay. But I'm not sure. Let me take a look at it. I'll take that stock answer. This is during the times of uh, Abraham and... We will get over here, and he has uh, the the covenant of circumcision is begun. I don't see this with the 12 princes, so we might have to look at that uh, at break time here. Okay. Let me take a look at that. So Yeah, we can do that. Mm-hmm. So, Mark, what about uh, people that uh, feel superstitious who are Christians, professing Christians? Yeah. I mean, today is 222 22 there's some people that have oh yeah thoughts about being superstitious and I don't like I don't want to stay on the Almost 13th floor and two thirds of the people I know who play baseball are superstitious are they they're the most superstitious people because of the all world. the rituals you go through oh man all the time? it's crazy so it's just the the stupid things the routines and everything haven't you ever watched any with their rally hats on oh, and totally, the yeah. thing sideways <laughs> and they're putting yeah. things on their face and everything baseball players are the worst when it comes to superstitious but there's a, seriously there's a lot of superstitious people out there they don't like friday the 13th mm-hmm. uh, they don't like it when a black cat goes uh, by them they don't walk underneath a ladder that just makes sense. I mean, I don't know about superstition there. You might get clocked by something, so don't yeah. walk under a ladder. No, no, yeah. But yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, what, uh, so uh, this is something, uh, I don't know, Bill, most of it's harmless. I'm, I'm not going to get all uh, hot and bothered about people unless it becomes too much a part of their lives. Uh, I guess what I would do is equate it with occultic kinds of things like fortune-telling and divination, uh, magic, all these kinds of things. Uh, those things are prohibited in the Bible. Mm-hmm. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses records this, no, you know, this is not something you do to see these uh, uh, magical uh, and occultic kinds of practices. And the main reason for that is is that you start to depend on those to know your future or for comfort or assurance or something like that instead of depending on God for that. Uh, you have a God that is sovereign over the, the earth, and so uh, that's all you need to be at peace, even though everything might be falling apart around you. So uh, Friday the 13th, uh, God may set that on its ear and give you one of the greatest blessings of your life right. to just prove that to you. So uh, most of the time, it's silly. I think it's very lightweight with superstition, but it can it can grow to be something unhealthy if it's taking away from our constant acknowledgement that our lives are in the hands of God. Yeah. He is the one we trust, not some stupid paradise. Amen. All right, here's a question. I give, I give 10% of my check a lot of times because mm-hmm. I'm told to. Mm-hmm. So is Malachi 3 the command I'm supposed to follow for that? Well, that is where the tithe is mentioned. Uh, Malachi, <laughs> uh, it records that God isn't real happy with uh, the people because they are not bringing this tithe in. It's in, the, it's in the law in the Old Testament that they were to give a tenth portion of their income to the Lord. And as an act of faith, they were to do that. If they were a farmer, they were to bring in the first fruits of their harvest, the first 10%, not the last 10%. And uh, with the idea that they have faith that the rest of their crop is going to come in, that that God will prosper them to be able to uh, bring in their entire crop. So uh, this is a very interesting question, and you're going to get Christians, uh, I hope it's a friendly discussion and argument that they can get into about this, Mm -hmm. because uh, the the law in the Old Testament prescribes this uh, tithe, but you're going to be hard-pressed to find this in the New Testament of any kind of instruction or uh, command to tithe. And uh, it's uh, conspicuously missing. And uh, so then what kind of guidance are we given in the New Testament about giving? Uh, We are given, uh, I think, maybe the best passage for this person who's thinking about tithing is to go over to uh, 2 Corinthians 9, not 1 Corinthians, but 2 Corinthians 9, And Paul is talking about offerings. And in chapter 8, he talks about being generous with your offerings. He even points to the Philippian church and how generous they were, that they gave way beyond their means at times because of a heart of generosity they had to give uh, to the work of God. And in particular, uh, Paul had been working on the Corinthian church to take an offering for the church in Jerusalem. They were suffering famine, and this would be a great way to build relationships between Gentiles and Jewish Christians if they would take this offering, but they hadn't done it. And so he gets after him a little bit here. And let me read this, though, in particular, 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 6. Paul says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. 
He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And he's not just talking about farmers there. Mm -hmm. He's talking about the way you give and the way you receive. And then he says, each one, each person must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance in every good deed. But I love this guidance. This seems to help us in the New Testament to say we are not tied to some particular percentage that the Scriptures are commanding us to give. Uh, That we are to give here, if I'm reading this right, he says, when we give, the attitude should be that we're giving with a cheerful attitude. I like to say to my students that you put something in the plate there as it goes by with a smile on your face. Yeah, I want to do this. I'm doing this cheerfully, not co- being comp- compelled to do it or grudging. You got a frown on your face and mm, I don't want to give this. Put it back in your pocket or cut it in half and see if that will put a smile on your face. Mm-hmm. So it seems as though we should give as much as we can with a smile on our face cheerfully. For some people, that's going to be 10%. I still think it's a pretty good guideline mm-hmm. to just get you in the ballpark. Sure. But for some people, it might be 7%. I have students complain to me how they're out of money all the time, although the pizza truck seems to always come to the residences. <laughs> so I'm a little bit cynical about that. Yeah. But for them, they may be able to just get a George Washington or two or throw it in the plate. But sure. if they can do it with a cheerful, generous attitude, more power to them. Yeah. Some people will give... 8%, some 12 some 15 some 25 I've had couples I've known that will increase it by 1% every year as a as a way to cheerfully to give to the Lord That's and trust beautiful. him that he will uh, that he will prosper them uh, maybe the most famous of these things is uh, a, a guy who lived in a previous century by the name of Laterno he was the one who founded Laterno College down in East Texas it's a Christian college, and uh, Laterno was a fantastic inventor, and he set up a, a foundation where he reverse tithed. Uh, this guy would give 90% of his income to this foundation and keep 10% of himself because he was a multimillionaire. He made all this money off of this, and the Laterno Foundation is still in uh, in. Uh, effect today. I got a chance to meet his granddaughter uh, who was running this thing when I lived in, in Texas. And so uh, this uh, this is someone who cheerfully is able to give 90% of yeah, his income that's, that's a, uh, to that's the amazing. Lord. But the key here isn't to be frowning about it, grudgingly, under compulsion, being forced, but to do it cheerfully. Give as much as you can to the Lord with a smile on your face. That mm-hmm. seems to be the New Testament uh, uh, principle here. Yeah, I, a lot of churches will do both. You know, you probably have heard people say, okay, now bring your tithes and offerings to the Lord. I think they're trying to cover both sides of that. Some people would be convicted to give 10%. Other people, this Second Corinthians 9 is more of what guides them. So let's appeal to both in, in the way we ask for mm-hmm. these offerings. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. We've got a few more minutes left. If you have a question, 877-933-2484. Still lots of great questions here. I'll try to get to them. If I can, be right back.
back with Dr. Mark Muska. Ask the Professor is the segment. I always get a lot of great, great questions, and many, many have come in. Um, Mark, I don't know if you know this specific uh, place in Scripture, but after they closed the door on the ark, how long was the door closed before it opened again? Yeah, that's a really good question, and I know that it's in uh, Genesis chapter 7 and 8, but I can't find the exact verses right now. Okay. Those are kind of afterthought things that Moses put in here. Sure. To make it, though, to sound like it's historical. This isn't some myth where after some days, then, you know, this right. or that happened. But he names it, uh, the month and the year and everything, when the door was closed and then afterward. Everybody remembers from uh, Sunday school, if they grew up in the church, that uh, the uh, rain subsided and the ark came down, but it still must have been mud everywhere. And so it took a while for the sure. the waters to recede. So uh, remember that he first sent out, wasn't it a crow that he sent out first? a raven, and it didn't come back, but then he sent out a dove, and the dove came back because it didn't have anywhere to land. Mm-hmm. But then the next time he sent it out, it didn't come back, so he knew the waters had subsided, and they opened the doors to the ark and, and left it. But the exact days, I'm almost certain that that is itemized in those chapters if you look at it carefully okay. and re- read through it carefully. Mm-hmm. Here's a current event question, Mark. Someone mm-hmm. mentioned today the current Russian invasion is in Revelations. I doubt it, but I thought I would check with someone way more knowledgeable than myself. Yeah, oh boy. Uh, you can get yourself into a corner in a hurry if you start to match up current events with uh, uh, specific prophecies about the end times in uh, Daniel, First, sec- uh, sec- uh, or Second Thessalonians, uh, the Book of Revelation—they uh, all have uh, details there. But this is something you got to be careful about to to uh, conclude with any kind of uh, certainty to this. Uh, we are not real good at figuring this stuff out ahead of time as far as what's going to happen. I mean, look what happened with the Jews with the first coming of the Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament. They screwed it up. They they had an idea of what these (laughs) prophecies were about, but they were surprised. And even uh, the apostles, even John the Baptist, seemed to have not quite understood these prophecies real well before they happened. So I suspect that's going to happen to us as well. So I'd be very careful about that. I really like the tone that Josh McDowell bought, brought to his famous book back in the 1970s called The Late Great Planet Earth, where he looked at the current situation in the world with the nations and what was going on, and he looked at prophecy, and if I remember right, in, in a really good spirit, Josh said, these conditions are matching up to these prophecies in the Bible, but that doesn't mean that this is all going to happen now. It could be that this is these same conditions will be later as well. But we have to pay attention to this. Uh, Jesus reprimanded his followers to say, uh, you can read the weather and see by the morning if it's going to be hot or not. Uh, you need to be read, reading the signs of the times as well. So we keep our eyes on this. We don't just turn our heads to it. I have no idea when Jesus is coming back. Well, you really do. And so we're supposed to be alert and be watching for these things, but you get yourself in trouble if you start saying, oh, this is exactly that. Mm-hmm. What, uh, the one that really gets abused is the whole identity of the Antichrist. I just had an email come in about a month ago 
ago where this uh, p- certain person was convinced that Elon Musk is the Antichrist. <laughs> so, and you know, I, but I have to be very careful about that. Yeah. He might be. You know, we don't know who this is, but uh, where did this guy get this information and that he's dubbed as the world's richest man right now? So maybe that's what motivated him. Uh, do you all remember the Soviet Union with Gorbachev becoming the premier sure. uh, of, and remember... He's got that birthmark on his head, yeah. and you know it talks about in Revelation this beast. He looks like he's had a head wound and it's been healed. So, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, you know, Mikhail yeah. Gorbachev is the Antichrist. Here we go mm-hmm. with all this stuff. And so, uh, please be temperate about that. Look at this. Try to discern as much as you can, but don't go overboard with this. You can get yourself uh, in a corner in a hurry. Mm-hmm. All right, Mark. Uh, wondering how you would tell a child in a short amount of time, mm-hmm. how Jews were ministered to first, then Christians were grafted in. Yeah, and uh, that, uh, the language isn't quite there uh, yeah. on that. Maybe Gentiles? Uh, yeah, more Jews and Gentiles. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, if I would explain it to a kid, I'd start out by saying, you have to understand, Jesus was a Jew. Mm-hmm. And so when he came, he came to a predominantly Jewish audience, and they were exposed to his teachings and his miracles and his claims. And so they were the first then that were presented with the good news about Jesus. Uh, Jesus never went. What What is it, the thing about? He never went any more than about seventy miles from where he was born. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you know he he stayed in that land of Israel. But then, when Jesus ascended and the gospels went out, it's interesting what he tells them in Acts one eight. Very famous passage here: the last words of Jesus before his ascension. I'll just read it here. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. And look at what he says, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria are two regions in Israel, the middle region and the southern region and to the ends of the earth. Why did he start with Jerusalem? Well, because that's where they were. Start here and move out from there. And Jerusalem was Jewish. So I know I'm going on with this, but very simply, Jesus was a Jew, and the gospel was first preached to the Jews because that's where they were in Israel. But then the message spread out to Gentiles, especially as Paul started his mission trips in Acts 13. But it's uh, very interesting in Paul's letter, he points this out, that the gospel came first to the Jew, but then to the Greek or to the Gentile as well. I'm looking at Romans one sixteen. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The Jews first, because they heard it first. Mm-hmm. And now, even when Paul made his journeys in every city that had a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue, he started there. And then he would preach to the Gentiles if the if the Jews didn't listen to him. So mm-hmm. it's it's not so much that the Jews were any better, but these were Jesus's people by inheritance, and so he started with them and moved to Gentiles. Mm-hmm. I don't know if a kid's going to understand that. So. Yeah, uh, well explained though. I, I think I got most of it. Well. I think you're <laughs> yeah, careful. You're, you're giving me this careful. look right now. No, I didn't yeah. say anything. I might All right, do you want one more question? Said. One more lightning round question? I don't know. Why did Canaan get cursed because what Ham did? Yeah, it's uh, 
I don't know if we can definitively answer that. Okay. But remember, this is Noah and his three yeah. sons. Yeah. And what this seems to indicate is that this curse isn't just for him personally, but it's going to go to his line. It's going to go to his generations. So Canaan is named to say, okay, this this is going to... This is going to live on. It's not just for ham here. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Fun hour. Yeah. Was that lightning enough? Yeah, it was good. That was I, okay. You did it a great job. Thank that was you. a really good answer. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for spending time with us. I like it. It's fun. It's fun for me. Yeah. Especially fun for me. It gets the old gears moving in your head. It really so. does. But I love it when people ask questions and they want to know from the scriptures. It is a wonderful book. It's got the words of life in it, and it's really fun to study and to talk to other people about. Mm-hmm. Just got to note, your guests are so reasonable and calm and wonderful teachers. That's nice. Yeah. yeah I like that. I'm Doc- not sure if I'm calm, though. No, that you're not one, calm. No, not that calm. one doesn't. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> it's, it's good we don't have video here. That's right? true. Yeah. That's very true. That's all our show for today. Thank you so much for spending time with me. I hope you had a good... Uh, day and I hope you have a lovely evening. Look forward to spending time with you tomorrow. Have a great night, everyone. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.